All right. Well, good morning, church. For those going to the preschool class, you are dismissed, and we'll see you here in a little bit later. Uh, Everyone else, please open up your Bibles to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. Well, this morning we are taking a break from preaching through Romans because, like Pastor Kevin mentioned later this morning, we will get the opportunity to come alongside some of our parents and dedicate their children to the Lord. And in order to understand and appreciate what we'll be doing, we need to first hear from God and hear what He has to say about our children and about our roles as parents and about His role as our Heavenly Father. One of my favorite things to do with my boys is to sing songs to them when I tuck them in at bedtime. Um, and one of those songs is, is Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, so I forgot we'd be singing that, but it was a special song to sing this morning. It reminds me of many a bedtime at the Walker household. And this singing to them and over them, it started when they were young, right? And we'd be rocking them to sleep and, and patting you know, them and, and trying to comfort them and settle them down. Um, it was a sweet time of singing to them and, and quieting them down, settling them down for sleep. It would remind me of what we learn about our God in Zephaniah, which we'll have up on the screen in Zephaniah 3, 17, which says, The Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And now as they've gotten older, you know, there's, there's not as much me just singing to them, but uh, now if they're not too tired, they join in in the singing, and they sing along with me. And what a joy it is to have them sing along with me and to sing songs like Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, to sing that along with them. And this morning I've titled uh, the sermon, The Builder's Song. The Builder's Song, because here we have in Psalm 127, one of the songs of ascent, one of the songs that the people of God would often sing as they traveled to Jerusalem for various feasts and festivals. And it's a song about how we get to take part in the work that God is doing, but that he ultimately is the builder. And therefore, As we build along with him, may we learn to sing this song. Because this song is written by the true builder of all things. You see, the songs that we sing for our kids and about our kids can get out of tune and can get off key if we're not listening to the voice of our Heavenly Father. Because there are some very unhealthy and incorrect views of children that are common amongst our culture, the culture we live in, and those lies and those off-key songs about our kids must be called out and corrected as they have found their way into the playlists of even us Christians. You see, one of the wrong songs that we can sing to our children is that they are functionally our lowercase g gods. And therefore, we set our entire hope in them. We find our identity in them. Their success, their success equals our success. 
We go to them to find our meaning and our purpose in life, and our destiny and future rests upon their shoulders. Now you can imagine what happens to kids living under that kind of pressure. You can imagine what it's like to grow up with a parent who is looking for you to be their Lord and Savior. Some of you have lived that. Some of you have had emotionally immature parents who instead of taking all their problems and anxiety and stress and instead of taking that to the Lord in prayer or instead of taking that to a pastor who can bear the burden with them, instead of taking that to their spouse or to a trusted friend, no, they have dumped that on their child and put a burden on a child that a child was never intended to bear. And maybe they took you to church and told you that Jesus is the Savior, but at home they sang and lived like you were their Savior. Or at the very least, like someone or something other than Jesus was their functional Savior. Some parents wrongly live and sing like their kids are the center of the universe. But many others wrongly sing and live like kids are burdens. They are inconveniences. They are things that are getting in the way of our selfish pursuits. And you see, church, this is why we must come to God's word and see what he says. Because he tells us that our kids are not gods and our kids are not burdens. No, in the passage this morning, we are going to see that our kids are gifts from our heavenly father. And we must be reminded of this this morning that our children are gifts from the Father. This is the builder's song. And as parents, we are not owners of these gifts. No, like any gift we receive from God, we are to be stewards of these good gifts. And as stewards, we must be faithful in the responsibility that God has given us. And so that is what we will be talking through this morning as we Look at Psalm 127. Now, if you don't have kids or you are a kid, don't check out on me this morning because this sermon will be applicable to all of us, every single person in here, even if you do not have kids or grandkids of your own, because because even if you don't have kids, you are someone's child, aren't you? And maybe you don't have children, maybe you don't have young children, but the fact remains, you are someone's child, and therefore, this is going to be very healthy for you to understand God's design, to maybe appreciate the ways your parents fulfilled their role, and to also forgive your parents where they fell short. Some of you are going to be confronted with that this morning, that you're going to need to forgive your parents. But this sermon is going to be applicable to all of us this morning because if you are going to be a committed and functional part of this local church body, you must see the children here the way God sees them. You must learn to sing the song that he sings for them and over them. You must welcome them as Christ welcomes them. And this morning, as the body of Christ, we will collectively demonstrate the heart of Christ as parents bring their kids to us for us to lay hands on and pray over them. And some disciples at first don't understand this and want to get them out of the way, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me 
and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Let's ask for the Lord's help in this. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity as the body of Christ to demonstrate the heart of Christ for children. Uh, Father, we ask that you would help us do that well in a way that is honoring to you. Father, may we be reminded that you are our Father, that we are your children. May you teach us, God, what your word says. May you realign our our songs that we sing about and to our kids. Father, we ask that as we look at your word, that you you would guard and guide my words. Help me say all that you intend and want for me to say. And God, keep me from saying anything that is not of you and that does not need to be spoken this morning. We ask for your empowering grace to both preach and receive your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Psalm 127, verse 1. Look with me. God's word says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, when the Bible talks about building, it can certainly be speaking of building an actual house or city or kingdom. But here it is also referring to building a household to building relationships, to building a church, building a family. And this passage does what so many passages in the Bible do. It it enters into the tension of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. For verse 1 is not telling us to sit around to be lazy or to be complacent. No, it is saying that there should be those who build. There should be those who watch. There should be those who toil. But, but, that building and that watching and that toiling will be in vain. You see that word vain three times there. That, it, they, these things will be pointless and useless and empty and in vain unless the Lord is the one who is ultimately building. You see, when Adam and Eve disobeyed in the garden, God cursed the ground and said that work was now going to be toilsome. It was going to be hard. There were going to be thorns and thistles and things to make Adam sweat and painfully labor over his work. Think about whatever you do for work, whether it's outside the house or inside the house. Even those of you who absolutely love your job, love what you do, at times you know that work is hard. It's frustrating at times. It's toilsome. 
This is the reality of living in a world where the presence of sin remains. All work is toilsome. It's painful. It's frustrating. It can at times be anxiety-producing if we let it. It can cause you to grow weary. And here's the bad news. If God has not redeemed it, and God has not blessed it, it is all in vain. It's empty. It's meaningless. And here's the really sad thing. There are millions, and I guess probably now billions, of people who work hard their entire life. Who work hard, who toil, who strain, who labor, who sweat, who parent. But they do it to make a name for themselves. And this happens even in Christian circles. I mean, come on, you know, growing up in church, you know how to make a name for yourselves amongst the Christian circles. You know how to play the false humility card. There are some people who are really working hard, but they're ultimately doing it to make a name for themselves. They're ultimately doing it for their glory and for their honor and for their own family's honor to make a name for their family. And they will get to the end of their life and realize that everything they built, if it has not been redeemed and blessed and surrendered to the Lord, if everything they built, it was pointless, it was empty, It looked great on the outside, but it was hollow on the inside. It was all in vain. What are you building right now? Think for a moment. What are you building? What relationships are you building? What business endeavors are you building? What What are you building in your home? What are you taking part in and building in this church? Are you doing it alongside the Lord? Is the Lord building it as well? Let me tell you something about our Heavenly Father. He is not that interested in us building things for Him. Your view of God is too small if you think he needs you to build things for him. And when I raise my voice, I'm primarily speaking to my own heart. You see, you know this from my preaching, hopefully. Your view of God is too small if you think that he needs us to build things for him. He calls us to build, not because he needs us to build things for him. He calls us to build because our heavenly father desires us to build things with him. You see, when I ask my young boys to work with me on something, is it because I really need them? Or is it because I desire to be with them and for our relationship to grow? Listen, if you feel like you have drifted from the Lord since becoming a parent, minus the first year of your child's life, which we're all walking in a fog and a haze in that first year, but if you feel like you have drifted from the Lord since becoming a parent, listen, something's wrong. You're missing out on the builder's song. 
the song to build, to build a household, to parent children. It is a call to come and build with our Father and to sing with our Father, not for our Father. Man, so many of us, we are weary. We are so weary because we're tired of trying to build things for God like it's, like it's all dependent upon us. Be free of that today. Our God is bigger and greater than that. He doesn't need you to build something for him. He's asked you to come build with him. The call to build is the call to come and enjoy more fellowship with him. The overwhelming task of parenting children should draw us closer to our father, more dependent upon him. More communion with him. Look back at Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. We labor, we toil, we struggle, we work, but if God is not the one building, it is in vain. Now here's the good news. Christ came to redeem us from the curse. He came to redeem our work. He came to redeem our parenting and our kids. He came to build a kingdom that will be an everlasting kingdom, and he now allows us to take part in that. And so here's the thing that we learn in the builder's song. We learn that God calls us to build what we ultimately can't produce and to watch over what we ultimately can't control. Think about that. God calls us to build what we ultimately can't produce and watch over what we ultimately can't control. We are called to build, we are called to work. We are called to build up the body of Christ. We are called to go start businesses, to cultivate societies, to have children, to build families. We put seed in the ground. We water it. We make sure it can get sunlight. But it is ultimately God who causes it to grow. We are called to watch over one another, absolutely. Pastors are to watch over churches. Bosses are to watch over employees. Parents are to watch over children. But we watch over things that we can't ultimately and completely control. I can't ultimately and completely control the outcome of this church. I can't ultimately and completely control how my kids turn out. I can't ultimately and completely control your heart towards God. Now, I play a part in it, but it is not ultimately and completely up to me. Why is it this way? Why would God sovereignly call us to build what we ultimately can't produce and watch over what we ultimately can't control? Why? It is so that we, as his beloved, would find, would by faith find rest in him. Parents, you cannot control every detail of your children's lives, both now and in the future. Now, there are some things that are under your control. 
But as we grow as parents, we realize just how much and all the plentiful of things that are outside of our control. And I realize that that is scary at first. Parents hear that at first, and it's scary at first until, until you hear the builder's song and you remember our heavenly father. He's called you to be faithful in the process of raising them and building them up and watching over them, but he wants you to trust him with the outcome. He wants you to pray for them and teach them and love them, but he also wants you to trust him all along the way. And what a great opportunity we have to know and enjoy God more through trusting him more. And maybe you have trusted him with your own life, but here's a greater challenge. Do you trust him with your children's lives? Another great opportunity to grow in faith and to know and enjoy him more. And that's how he gives his beloved sleep. And this sleep doesn't always look like seven to eight hours of uninterrupted sleep, as most young parents will tell you. This almost seems like a cruel verse to bring up on the morning of a child dedication. This sleep doesn't always look like seven to eight hours of uninterrupted sleep, but this is how God gives rest, even when physical sleep eludes us. He can give us rest. He can give us rest. The Christian works and exerts energy, but through faith, it is a restful work. It is not anxious toil. The daily bread that the Father gives us to sustain us is not the bread of anxious toil. Stop eating that bread. A Christian is called to work restfully, to have busy hands but a calm mind, to go about the business of the day from here and there but with a heart that is staying and abiding in Christ. The people of God, we are not a lazy people, but we are a restful people. Trusting God with our kids, knowing that they are gifts from him and they ultimately belong to him. I mean, that should bring us so much joy and life and rest to us. But this truth is also what will bring joy and life and rest to our kids as well. And so let me ask you this question. Do your kids know that they are gifts from God? Do your kids know this? Have you told them this? Have you taught them this? Do you express to them how much value and worth they have, not because of their performance or behavior, but because they are your children? Do they know how precious they are in God's sight and in yours? Do they see and know that you want a relationship with them? 
that this is even why, one of the main reasons why we discipline them. Yes, to correct their sin and disobedience, but, but why do we ultimately correct and change their sin and disobedience? It's for the purpose of restoring fellowship. We want them to have fellowship with God and with the family. And so when something happens around our dinner table and someone needs to be corrected, we go and handle that in discipline. But then we come out of that time of discipline with in, a, in an attempt, in a prayerful, grace-driven attempt to restore fellowship. We're correcting their behavior because something has gone wrong and it has broken fellowship in the family. But now we're going to deal with that. We're going to confess that and we're going to forgive that. And so I need to walk out of the room of discipline with just as much forgiveness as they have now confession and repentance, and we need to then be restored into fellowship with one another. Some of us as parents, we can hold on to grudges with our kids. Something they did in the morning is causing us to think of them differently later in the day. Part of the process of discipline is, yes, to correct them, but it's also to correct you as well, to restore fellowship. Do your kids know that you want fellowship with them? You want a relationship with them? That this is what is even motivating some of the training and discipline that you are carrying out with them? It's not punishment for their performance and behavior. It's correction to restore fellowship. And some of us need to go and we need to make sure we've expressed and said this to our kids that they know how God sees them and how we see them. Look at what verse 3 says. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. God says children are not commodities, they are not burdens, they are not inconveniences. Children are a heritage, meaning a gift from the Lord. They are an inheritance from the Lord. Children are a heritage, a gift. They are a reward to us. They are gifts from God. God did not owe them to us. And one of the blessings of having Christian parents is that as kids growing up with Christian parents, you get to experience through them the covenantal love that God shows and sings over his beloved. And if you personally are not experiencing and enjoying the covenantal and unconditional love of God yourself, then you are going to really struggle and have great difficulty in extending it and singing it over your kids. You see, what has happened in our relationships is that we've let our consumer culture and the marketplace start to control even how we view our relationships. Many times we start to view the relationship we have with our spouse or with our kids or with our church as a contract instead of a covenant. Let me explain that to you. You see, contracts are dependent upon performance. If you are doing business with someone, you go and sign a paper that you will pay them this amount of money. 
And in return, they will give you this amount of goods and services, and it's a contract. It's a conditional thing. If you don't pay or they don't give you what you thought they would give you, then the contract is broken. In a contract, the individual's needs are greater than the relationship. If you are not meeting my needs, I can break off the contract. My needs are greater than this relationship. And church, listen, contracts are fine for business, but God had something better in mind for his people. God has something better in mind for our relationships with one another. God's love towards us is not contractual. Like if we do this or that, then he will do this or that. If we don't say this or that, then he'll, he'll show us love. Like then God will love us and say us, save us if we do this and that, but not this and that. No, God's got something better in mind than a contract for his beloved. Covenantal relationships are not maintained by performance. There is an unconditional love and loyalty one commits to in a covenant. When someone enters a covenantal relationship, they are saying, I want a relationship, not just I want goods and services from you. And that is what God calls people into in marriage because he knows that there is a deeper joy and intimacy that you can experience when we covenant with God and with one another to unconditionally love one another no matter how we feel or the performance of the other person. And it is a covenant that we call you as parents into this morning as you dedicate your children what we are asking is we are asking them to extend to their kids the same grace and unconditional love that God has extended to them. Now, in our own strength, we can't perfectly keep these covenants that we enter into. I mean, just read your wedding vows. Just read our church covenant. Just read what the parents are going to commit to here in a few minutes. In our own strength, we cannot perfectly keep these covenants. And you've got to know that. You've got to understand that. You've got to embrace that. Why? Well, the same reason why God would have us build what we ultimately can't produce and watch over what we ultimately can't control We must embrace the fact that in our own strength, we cannot be perfect covenant keepers so that by faith, we will rest in the one who is. You see, God is the only true and perfect covenant keeper who came to earth and put on flesh to be the perfect covenant keeper on our behalf. God saw the state that we were in. He saw that we were dead in our sin and paralyzed by it and had lost our ability to love like he loves. He saw that we stood condemned and guilty because of our disobedience and rebellion against him. And he saw that we were entering into contractual relationships where we used people instead of covenantal relationships where we loved people. And although we did not deserve his love and forgiveness, God, who is rich in mercy, 
And out of his great covenantal love for his people, he came to earth. Jesus, being fully God, fully man, lived the perfect life of obedience we failed to live. And he died a sacrificial death on a cross in our place, paying the penalty for our sin and releasing us from the power of sin. And three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death. And he's now ruling, reigning, and restoring all things. And he is calling a people to himself, to join him in this work and this salvation. Listen, it is completely by grace through faith in Christ alone. And therefore, church, I hope that you build what you cannot produce. And I hope that you watch over what you ultimately can't control. And I hope you covenant what in your own strength you can't keep so that you as God's beloved would by faith rest in Christ and Christ alone for your life and your salvation. To live with the joy of being loved by God and extending that love to others and to your kids. Oh, what a wonderful opportunity we have with our children. And listen, church, it's not always an opportunity that we will always have. Yes, I pray that God would allow for me to have a relationship with my boys forever and always, but the season that you have with them living in your household is very short. And while the days sometimes feel long, the years go by quickly. And look with me back at Psalm 127, verse 3. He says, God said, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, church, do you know what arrows are made for? Arrows are made to be shot out into the world. Children are gifts from the Lord that we are to be faithful and to steward for a time, and then they are to be shot out into the world. They are to be sent. And last week we talked about how the preaching of God's word is and will continue to be one of the main and primary ministries that we have as a local church, both now and into the future. Well, here's another thing about this local church. We've got some arrows to shoot. You come tonight to Awana, and you'll see the quiver is full. And we're not praying for less arrows. We're praying for a larger quiver to hold them all. But we must be faithful to prepare them. Make note here that Solomon lived in a time where you couldn't just go buy arrows from the store. Arrows had to be shaped. Arrows had to be sharpened. And then eventually arrows had to be aimed towards their proper target. Our kids, they should not and they will not always be under our direct care. The time we have with them is short. 
The great missionary David Livingston, he once wrote to a friend. It was a convicting quote for me, and I hope that you take it to heart as well. He said, I hope that you are playing with your children. And looking back, I have one regret, and that is that I did not feel it my duty to play with my children as much as to teach the natives. Sorry, I I thought I could read that. You can read it. I worked very hard at that and was tired out at night. Now I have none to play with. So, my good friend, play while you may. They will soon no longer be children. Now, my kids today are all sick. They're still very young. I have plenty of time with them. So, But this is true. Look at our children today, church. This is part of seeing them as we need to see them. Look at our children today. Look around this room today. Look at the children that we bring up on stage today. See them as gifts from God. See them as arrows. And then see them and remember that they will soon no longer be children. This is how God wants us to see them. And as I, as I close this sermon this morning, I can't help but imagine that just by talking about children and parents and what God has to say about our roles, I imagine that there could be a lot of past hurt for some of you that comes back from your childhood. And listen to me, if that's starting to happen in your heart and in your mind, Do not give the enemy a foothold here. We know his schemes. You must even now be asking the Lord to help you forgive your parents. Some of you need to forgive your parents. It's going to be so difficult for you to move forward in the future with your own kids if you haven't first Forgiven your parents. Pray blessings for your parents. Forgive them. Do not allow their shortcomings that might come to light this morning become a record of wrongs for you to hold on to. Let it become instead a growing opportunity to forgive and show grace to them and to be reminded of all the ways that God has forgiven you. And so for some of you this morning, the first step is in being able to extend God's love and grace to your own kids is that you must forgive your own parents. Forgive them in the way that you desire God to forgive you. Forgive them in the way you want your kids to forgive you when they get old enough to realize that you don't know what you're doing. Your kids are going to learn how to forgive from you. That's a sobering thought. They see you harboring a grudge towards their grandparents. 
you're sowing seeds that you do not want to reap the fruit of. Forgive them and be free and move forward. Now, I also want to address this. If you are a parent whose kids are already grown, maybe some of this could cause you to grieve and feel guilty of all the ways you've fallen short as a parent. And listen, I don't want anyone to walk out of here with a heavy sense of guilt or regret. No, not at all. Grieve for a moment if you must, but do not let it turn into self-pity. The gospel frees us from this. We can confess our sin and shortcomings to God, and you can confess your shortcomings to your kids, and, and, and you must know and remember and receive this morning that the forgiveness that God offers to us through faith in Christ is greater than all of our sin and all of our shortcomings and failures as parents. Receive that forgiveness from God this morning. God is in the business of redeeming and working in and through our shortcomings. He does this all the time. For he is the ultimate builder. And where sin increased, grace can abound all the more. He can still build in your kids and in your family that which is currently broken. He can do it. He's the ultimate builder. It was never all upon your shoulders. This is the builder's song. He can build what has been broken. This is a song about children, yes, but ultimately it's about Jesus, God's Son, who can build relationships back where we have broken them. He calls us to build not because he needs us to build things for him, but because our heavenly father desires to build alongside him. When we look at the children today, may we be reminded that we are children of God. And through faith in Christ, our father has completely and totally forgiven us and welcomed us and adopted us and we are his. May we remember that our children are gifts from him. May we extend the same grace and unconditional love and forgiveness that God has extended to us. May we extend that to them, that they might come and, and see in our lives and hear in our voices the grace and the love of our Father. May the Lord our God be in our midst. May we know that he is a mighty one who will save. May he rejoice over us with gladness. May he quiet us by his love. May he exult over us with singing. Let's pray.